All right. So good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the forum on the venture. I have with me Mr. Jacob Sule, and we'll be dealing with series four, the rise of institutions, where we'll be discussing how to democratize the power of social um, in, in, in the proposed venture metrics for the future of Africa. So Mr. Jacob, how are you doing, sir? Good to have you with us. Hello, Mr. Jacob. Hello, Mr. Toy. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, awesome. So how we have, um, what we do on the forum is, you know, we ask tough questions to get the answers that would um, expose us on the practical things that we need to do on a, as an undergraduate community to get included in the economic value creation ecosystem of Africa. And today we'll be discussing series four, which talks about the rise of institutions, which is how do the undergraduate community uh, participate in building or consolidating the efforts of institutions to democratize economic, political, and social power. So we've had conversations on how to democratize economic power. We've had conversations on how to democratize political power. And then we'll be discussing how to democratize um, social power. And we'll be doing that in four series of conversations of 15 minutes each, where we have the trivia, where we try to establish um, you know, a human connection or relationship with what um, our guest does and how we can learn from you. Then we would have the discourse where we'll try to understand the underlying mechanisms be behind the conversation we're trying to have. Then we'll have a strategy session where we tap from your insights and wisdom on how we could take practical action towards the outcome that we desire. And then lastly, we'll have the forum where we discuss the one thing that we can take action on and concentrate all of our efforts right now. So first thing we want to start off with the trivia is, um, you know, I know, I know you, I know you work um, with undergraduates a lot, um, even though of course you work with more international stakeholders and all of that. So what are the dysfunctions that you have noticed either while you are an undergraduate or currently now that you interface with undergraduates that is creating that gap between our economic value creation potential in Africa or in Nigeria to start with? All right, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Toyin, for that very good introduction and the question. Well, I'll put it very simple and straightforward. The challenge or the complexities in which we have in our undergraduate system now is that we have young people who are with talent and skills, but they are not given adequate platform to showcase themselves to learn and to grow. And unfortunately, the university curriculum does not to a large extent give young people the opportunity and you know, the space to put their skills to practice, except when you have exams or maybe a semester made assessment or you have to go for your externship or your internship, maybe as a law student or even as a science student. So for me, the complexities are not something in which you can dissect in one conversation. But the basic remains that undergraduate students in Nigeria across boards, regardless of your age, your skin, your color, your religion or your background, they all have individual specific skills. But the challenge is they do not really have a platform to thrive. Most young people are looking up for mentorship role, but then they don't seem to find that easily. So in, like to put that in perspective, young people faces or are facing a lot of challenges. And the only way in which we can help them try is something in which you're doing like this, 
give them spaces to engage and then to share you know, their expertise and see how they can grow from there. So I, I think that would be a good place for me to, to um, take a pause. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for expressing that. Um, you know, it's one of the major um, conversations that um, I outlined in the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa. But let's dive into what you do currently, right? Um, I know you're a very strong player in um, the social the social institution of, of Nigeria and of Africa, both locally and globally. And we would like to understand your work today. What, 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 what inspires the work that you do today? And does it in any way connect to that undergraduate community? Yeah, thank you. Um, what I do today cuts across both the undergraduates, the basic primary, secondary, and also at the tertiary institution. So for me, I have three perspectives in which I've used to engage my advocacy for the past few years. The first thing I ask myself is, what is the how of what you're doing, the why, and the what? Yes, I had so many challenges as an undergraduate student, going to a university that was located in a remote community where you had no access to constant electricity. You have, whether or not there are no banks, you can have access to primary healthcare facility at your pace. And then you have to travel long distance to even access, you know, to get basic things in which you need. So for me, what I do um, is advocate for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals from goal one, which is no poverty to the last goal, which is partnership for the goals. And amongst those goals, I try to look at one, how can you or how can we achieve the target of quality education in Nigeria? be it in the rural community or in the urban city centers, how can we as young people begin to lend our voice to see how we can create spaces for younger people to have access to education, not just having access to education, but then having access to quality, equitable, and free and fair um, education. So that's what I do to some extent. On the other hand, I have a legal expert into all of my advocacies, which, I, which is what I call the Human Rights Cafe. The Human Rights Cafe is a virtual collaborative conversation where we host conversations just like these on human rights issues to educate young people to know about their rights and then how to seek redress and then to protect and advocate for the dignity of all persons. You all agree with me that we have flagrant abuse of human rights issues, either by the men of the police, the SAS, or even, you know, it cuts across everywhere. So for me, beyond just taking up placards to advocate for protests and all that, I have chosen to leverage on the positive sides of COVID-19, which is every young person now have a mobile phone which you can connect with social media. So rather than we just getting on things that are not too relevant on social media, I have chosen to host events virtually and then bring young people to share their experiences on human rights abuses, the violations and how we can see how we can address that issue. Then aside from the law, um, the human rights issues, I also engage in training teachers to be globally competent. And then this is this, this talks about um, goal 4.7 of the Sustainable Development Goals, which talks about global citizenship education. Now we have teachers who before COVID were very scared of even handling, you know, an Android phone. Some of the teachers could not even access email address and all that. So for me, my expertise is trying to see how we can train teachers to become globally competitive and then they can teach with the recent 21st century device and also work with private organizations, government um, prostitutes and every young person doing things around the SDGs. Then lastly, 
what I do is I try to help young people discover their talent and strength. Like I said in my introduction, you have too many young people who have very good ideas, very good, amazing um, um, thoughts. But the challenge is they do not really know how to start. They don't know when to start and then why do they want to start. But unfortunately, there's an aspect of this young people, of, oh, obviously I'm also a young person, but then there's an aspect of young persons who just want to get on programs, get pictures and then share on their um, WhatsApp stories or even on social media without really understanding the why of them getting involved in that conversation. So for me, beyond the social media, WhatsApp stories or Instagram posts, Twitter and all that, I'm trying to see how we can engage young people so that they can become actively engaged and then they can be like, they can have a platform to put their skills to use and talent to achieve whatever they want to achieve. And in closing, the truth is we have very many young Nigerians who are much more talented than what they think, but because they do not have opportunity in which to showcase themselves, they feel that, oh, once I just get a 5.0 or 4.5 in university, then it's on. But for me, no, we are out there to challenge the narrative and to see how we can give spaces to young people to become globally competitive. Thank you. Wow. Awesome. Um, it's lovely to hear about your work, um, you know, institutionalizing change, especially um, with education and then, you know, as you said, the legal aspects, human rights. Now, let us fundamentally understand the why, you know, your personal why, and then a broader sense of the why. Why do you think it's, why do you think more than ever right now, we need a social revolution? Why do you think more than right now, young people, especially those in the undergraduate community, need to get involved in social change? And this is why I'm asking because there is a power dynamics to this thing. We cannot just have intent, right? So I want you to expose us to how your work has been able to explore that power dynamic to lead change for okay. especially building social institutions. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I do that by using what I call three circles. And each of those circles will have different petals. I don't know if our audience can just take a pen and draw three different circles of their own self, three different circles, like give them enough spaces and then we would engage ourselves and then we'll have to share, maybe some of us will have to turn on our camera and then we we'll would engage ourselves on this particular aspect. So when you draw a three different circle, the first circle should have an arrow. The first circle should have an arrow and you should write relationships there with a question mark. Having done that, the second arrow should be interests. The third arrow should be groups. The fourth should be values. The fifth should be hopes. Hopes or dreams. And the sixth should be your fears, F-E-A-R-S. Then in that circle, in the middle, you can write me, M-E, then you put a colon, then you put today. Now, having done that, okay. Uh, uh, so do you by chance maybe have a board or your own paper where you could just illustrate instead, since this is a um, recorded video. So it'd be nice to see your own diagram. Okay, one second. I'm just, one second please.
So um, this is, can you see this? Yeah, this is the circle. So all of those arrows, you would get them here and all that. So all those six issues in which I mentioned will be- Oh, like, oh, like a rose, like a flower, like yeah, a flower. Yeah, yeah, just like a flower. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So having done that, we're gonna ask ourselves questions, which will answer your question of why am I doing all of what I'm doing? Now, that circle is a present reflection of who you are as a graduate student or as an undergraduate or maybe whatever you're engaged in. Now today, what are your relationships? Relationships with people, relationships with friends, folks. What are those relationships in which you're having? Having identified that or those relationships in which you're having, the next focus is what are your interests? As an undergraduate student or as a graduate student, what interests you in life? Do you just want to end a first class and walk away or you want to earn a second class upper and stay relevant, or you want to make a pass or a third class in the institution and then go back and become an entrepreneur. Now, having said that, what groups do you belong to? Do you have groups that challenge you to seek for greatness? Or you have groups that are just concerned about the social media parties, the baby ninjas of this world, or the fancy and fun things around? Then your values, what are the values that define you as an, like, like as an individual? What, when, when, when people hear your name, Ajayu Radarasimi or Adela Adelakun, or even Sophia Adekojo, or even Tony Bambili, what comes to their mind about the values in which these names are projecting? Then your hopes and dreams. What are your hopes and dreams for tomorrow? What are you looking for to become beyond just being a graduate? Then lastly, your fears. What are the fears in which you're faced with as an undergraduate student or as a graduate student? Now, if you're able to identify all of these um, issues in which I've just mentioned, it takes you to a new circle, which will be you in 10 years time. Now, today you looked at a circle of you in, in um, today, and then the next circle will now be you in 10 years time. Now, answering those questions, what relationships will you have built in 10 years times? How will those relationships in which you're like you're building today, how will they influence your choice of actions in 10 years time? Then you go to your interest. The interest in which you have 10 years ago or even today compared to 10 years to come, how are those interests valuable and useful to your current, you know, you know, to your current state of human? Then your groups, the groups in which you belong to some few years ago, are those groups relevant and useful to you in achieving your career plans? Then you look at your values, the values in which you projected over the past few years, are they still relevant to your being existence as a young person or as a career um, um, graduate or whatever you want to do? And then your hopes and dreams. Are your hopes and dreams still valid? Are they sustainable? Are they achievable? Then lastly, your fears. I can bet you that if you look at everyone's um, drawings there, one thing you will find is the fear of uncertainty. Nobody knows tomorrow. Government policy, you know, government just wakes up with a policy and then when you find those policies on here, you see so many hashtags on Twitter, on social media. Then after two, three days of making noise, everything goes down. So for me, what has influenced me over the years are because one, I've been able to identify my relationship. My relationship is to see how we can build, like I am not a fan of taking to the streets. I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but then we have the skills in our hands. We have the resources. The social media is there for us to change the narrative. So for me, I believe on leveraging on the strength of social media to see how we can advocate and change for anything. So in closing, 
the why of why, okay, the why that has influenced what I've been doing over the years is because I've been able to identify the, the relationships that I've built, my interests, the groups, the values, the hopes, and the fears. And those fears are what I've been able to work on for the past few years and been able to like to continually advocate for quality education, respect for human rights and citizen advocacy, and then teacher global competency development. Thank you. Wow, that was, that was, really, that was really interesting to learn. And you know, looking at what you just, you just provided, it gives me an insight to how leadership of social institutions right, have to be designed, developed, and implemented if we're going to lead any real change. So let's, let's get right into the discourse about social institutions. Um, you've been able to deal with the human side of social institutions, but let's now talk about the institutional side or the systemic side of social, of social institutions. Um, what do you think is the role? You know, if we're to hold social institutions accountable for one thing, right, in this current narrative that maybe they failed or they've not done um, efficiently, what is that role of social institutions in, in democratizing power in the society? Thank you. What you're doing now is a clear example of socializing and bringing about the exact change. Institutions are not just built by spirits. Institutions are built by humans who breathe in here, just like my, myself and you. The Venture Project is an institution in which we are trying to establish, or I, I beg to say, an institution in which you've established to equip and build on young people. So for me, the role of institutions are like they are like they're enormous and you cannot ascertain them. But to put it in context, the reasons why we have social institutions is to see how we can hold government accountable and to push for efficiency and transparency. But beyond all of that, I beg to say that Nigeria becomes a big brother in policy, but then a younger brother in implementing those policies. And that is why you see that just in Ghana back there, you have Nigerian, um, you know, you have Nigerians um, properties and Nigerians themselves being malandrous. Now the question you ask is what then would you call that issues going on in Africa? And so, so for me, the role of institution or social institution is to see how we can change the narrative beyond talking and talking and issuing press statements. What can we as young people begin to do? How can we strategize ourselves? And I'm glad you're doing this. And then for every other person who have joined this conversation today, we are also trying to build ourselves to become social innovators and social change makers. So for me, I think, let me just put it that the role of social institution is to see how we can challenge the narrative. How can we bring things to the table? Beyond complaining, beyond criticizing on social media, beyond picking up um, placards to make advocacies, we should see how we can leverage on the strength of our young persons. This is a network of young persons. I won't be surprised in five years if we have social impact um, changes who are coming up from Venture Academy. So for me, I think it's just a way of like, um, like rebuilding an institution without getting to get into trouble and then doing things moderately and to ensure that there's transparency and efficiency, trying to change the narratives which has always been. I hope I've been able to answer that question. Yes, yes, it was, it was brilliantly, it was brilliantly, it was brilliantly um, um, addressed. So what I've learned is that the role of social institutions is basically to shape the narrative about the social health of every Absolutely. community. So that is one thing that we can hold, hold them to. 
Now, you know, there's one thing, there's one thing I normally say. I said everything about power is, is everything except power is about power. But power is about access to choices, right? Until institutions are able to democratize power, we are not going to be able to move anywhere. You know, we, we learned about how economic power is created and democratized. We've learned about how political power is created and democratized. And I know that for the social space, the social is an interplay of policy of, of, of politics. Hello, Mr. Bamdili.
Sorry about that, guys. Yes, so um, did you get the last question I asked her before it went off? No, I didn't. Okay, so I was saying that now that we understand how institutions, um, what we can hold them accountable for, right? Social institutions democratize access to social power because it intersects between social, social health of, of every community and then the political landscape of that community. So we need to, as undergraduates, understand the power dynamics of that space, right? And how social institutions democratize that if we're going to be able to participate actively in building social institutions. Do you understand the question, sir? Yeah. Or if I get to you, you're gonna ask how young people can be a part of social institutions, is that correct? Yes, and then how do we understand the power dynamics you know, who are the major stakeholders that control the power of, you know, how much social institutions can democratize power? Okay, thank you. Um, well, that's a very good question. And let me put it in perspective again. Well, institutional building, like I said, are not built by spirits. They are built by humans who perceive and breathe in and out of air, just like myself and you. So for a young person who intends to probably, um, engage the powers that be or probably also build a career along the line you know you cannot take away the role of mentorship regardless of how well schooled or traveled in which you have so for me i tell young people identify your prospective mentors identify those in which you want to build a career after identify those in which their goals and aspiration matches with what you intend to be in the next couple of years so in doing that it's quite easy you need to begin to establish a connection with those potential or prospective mentors in which you intend to work with. And in doing that, it takes you to do your research as young persons. Look at yourself and ask yourself questions. Why am I running into this advocacy project? Or why do I want to engage in social power or, or social institutions or even social inclusion? Then when you're able to answer that question of why, then the question is how. How do you want to achieve that? You have all like you have all resources at your fingertips now. You have LinkedIn, you have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have Instagram. You have virtually all social media um, platforms in which you can begin to look up profiles of young persons or probably prospective mentors they want to, you, you want to work with. Then build or write up a simple and decent email. Approach them respectively and send them an email. Oh, dear sir, dear ma, my name is Soso and so, undergraduate student of XYZ University. Over the years, I have engaged with Soso and so, and I would like to share a moment with you. If such prospective mentor has written an article or a book or something, try and get on that book, engage it, do a summary, and share your thoughts with that potential um, uh, mentor and tell them, sir, this is what you've been able to do. In doing that, it shows that you're deliberate about what you want to do. Now you have answered your how. The how is engage your prospective mentors respectively and see how you can do that. Then what? What is your long-term goal? You all know that, okay, in three, four years time, what I want to do is to be amongst the power brokers. So beyond you just becoming um, uh, like, like, um, like, like beyond you just becoming so not useful to yourself, I challenge you to see how you can even volunteer your skills each of these your mentors might have something in which they do to engage their um, communities and, and other. Try and see how you can play an active role. You can volunteer your skills. You need not be paid for most of these things. 
So I, I strongly advise that young people should begin to see how they can explore volunteerism, identify your potential um, power brokers or, or mentors and see how you can work with them. Then lastly, if you look at the target of SDG 17, it talks about partnership for the goals. There's nothing, yes, you can do something on your own, but the truth is the strength of what you do on your own would not or cannot necessarily be equated to what you will have done even getting to partner with people. So I tell young, young people, if you want to take over power, explore the place of partnership. Now look at what Mr. Toyin is doing. He's been able to put together so many people like to come share their thoughts on this event. If he hasn't explored partnership to address all of this, he would just be like one person. And there's a parable that says, one tree does not make a forest. So as a young person, the idea in which you have is not new under the sun, I'm sorry to say. So I strongly advise that young people should begin to see how they can muster their strengths, muster your resources and network to build. And then a word of caution, when you want to take over power, you don't start from the top. You start from the, like, the, like you know, the, the bottom of the ladder. So with uh, gradual yeah, grassroots. Process, yes, mm. with gradual process and consistent growth, I can tell you that the sky will be a starting point if you're able to make use of this um, few thoughts in which I've shared with you. Thank you. All right, awesome, awesome contributions, sir. Um, you know, what we've been able to learn is that power is negotiated and the way you negotiate for power is by creating value, by providing value first through mentorship. Reach out to people who already have power and offer value and, and also look for areas of partnership. That is how um, democratization of power is, 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 is achieved. Awesome. So last question for this session is to understand the influence of social on economic outlook. Do you understand? Um, how can we, what is, what is that middle ground where once we can hit social institutions and get that part right, how does it influence our economic um, um, value? Let me give, let me give, let me give some, some context to that. So one problem we'll be able to identify is that within our, our universities, we don't have an enabling environment for value creation, right? If we are able to cross that hurdle, right? And then, okay, we've been able to organize ourselves and create an enabling environment for value creation. The rise of institutions or institutions, especially social institutions, will be needed to democratize the power that we've created, right? But how does it directly influence the economic outlook of that effort? Does it make sense, sir? Yeah, thank you. I beg to disagree with you that there are no enabling environment for value creation in our universities. There are countless of enabling environments for value creations in our universities. And that is why you have the likes of the student union government, you have departmental associations, you have so many associations around that are being driven and led by young persons. It will interest you to know that there are some universities in this Nigeria whereby those who have served as student union leaders or departmental schools are now occupying top government positions because of the track records in which they've built as an undergraduate student and as a leader of a struggle and advocacy. I do not want to call names of those, even in this present government in our individual states, you know one person from an institution who has served as a student leader before, who is not like engaging actively in politics and policy to shape the economic outcomes of her. So my, my, like, my, my advocacy to young people is this. Beyond, I keep saying, beyond getting a certificate, mark the word, beyond getting a certificate, know how to use that certificate and become certified. That is, 
You know what you have studied in school. Beyond certificates, no certificates. That is utilizing the skills in which you learned in the process of getting that certificate so that you will become self-reliant and sustainable on your own. So having said that, one other thing we should look at is, yes, you know, so many young people are becoming too overambitious. It is not a crime to become overambitious, but the crime is when you become overambitious and you're not being able to, to muster all the strength together and use them judiciously. So for me, the role of young people in doing this is that it's, it, it's just like politics. You don't want to run for governor in two years time or in 20 years time, and you come to the polls five years to elections. That is when you see that those who are, so, who are supposed to be president of these countries are the ones going abroad to give motivational speeches. And then they are not, like they don't have a generated course into identifying the challenge in which we have in our individual respective homes. So for me, what we can leverage on is that we should see how we can build institutions that will stand the test of time. Leverage on your departmental strength, your association, your student union government, and whatever skills in which you can build an institution. In doing that, when you have skills, now let's mark this point. Your certificate is not what gives you the job, but the skills and value in which you're bringing on the table. Even if you make a first class and you're unable to offer the values in which that institution needs, you will not get the job. So I tell most people, beyond just going to school to make a first class, are you competent enough? Do you have the required skills that will keep you on the job? Yes, your father's connections might get you through the door and get you the interview, but your father's connection would not get you on the job in an ideal situation. So for us as young people, what we can do is that, let us begin to put ourselves together. Let us begin to have conversations like this. Let us begin to strategize, and then let us begin to look at the government policies. And when you do that, and you're able to come up with like a document and a position, I tell you, you can change something. Look at other African countries and all some other countries around the world. Young people are living, I think I read somewhere in a country of recent where a 21-year-old girl was appointed as a minister. Now, if you look at her track record, this is someone who has been involved in university politics. She has done things which are incredibly well. So, but unfortunately, what you have in this part of the world is people want to leave school with a first degree. I want to get into government as maybe um, a special advisor or something. I am not against being a special advisor, but the truth is what can you do beyond politics? I don't want to overflow this issue of the role of young people in trying to create like what will, uh, like um, how can we influence economic situation? But the truth is you cannot influence anything if you don't have the required skills, experience and expertise. So I tell young people, now that you're in school, try and leverage on the networks in which you have. Volunteers for, like, I, I can't overemphasize the role of volunteerism. Like, volunteer, create value, let your skills and talents speak for you beyond your name. And in conclusion, when people mention your name, let them know that, oh, Tony is bringing this expertise in this field. Um, Api or Omosi is bringing this to this field. Mayowa is bringing these skills to this. Papatuli is bringing these skills. And then if we bring in all these skills together, we can challenge the narratives and then make a change. Unlike we just going to make noise on, on social media. And when you trend an hashtag for two days, everything goes down. So my closing comment is this, as young people, let us learn to strategize, build ourselves, bring talent to the table, and then beyond certificates, 
no certificate. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. I like the certificate thing because it's, it's very it's very locally contextualized. Awesome. So let's you, you know you've mentioned strategy you know a lot. So let's drive into strategy right now. So what are the social issues that you think you know is most defining the economic narrative of Nigeria right now that the undergraduate people need to focus on solving? What are the social issues around that we can focus our efforts on solving? Thank you. There are so many, so many, there are so many social issues around in which I strongly advocate for young people to solve. Now, there are issues which everybody knows, police um, abusing human rights. Mm. You have issues of corruption so far. And mm. then there's one thing we need to know. It will surprise you that the numbers of people waiting to become politicians are enormous than those who are there. And those wow. that are waiting now, when they become politicians, the numbers or the amount of money they will steal will surpass the current value of money in which our current politicians are stealing. Oh, wow. So there's this mentality that once we get there, everybody owes a knife behind him or herself. So when we get there, some people want to cut the cage from the top. Some wants to cut from the middle. Some wants to cut from anywhere. Whatever the knife cuts gets over to me. But beyond we doing that, one issue I want young people to be actively engaged on is the issue of education. An educated nation is a nation that thrives and will create like sustainability for generation coming. I have served as a copper in Nigeria. And it is sad to say that even during my service here, there were graduates who could barely write their names or speak fluently or even address issues. So now the question is this, how did this ones get into, like how did they get to pass and become graduates? So for we as young people, the solution to all these social vices and where we can lend a voice is to see how we can advocate for quality education. And now we, I think we're lucky now because we have an umbrella which is called the sustainable development goals. There's nothing you do as a young person that is not tied to the SDGs. There's nothing government does as an institution that is not tied to the sustainable development goals. There's nothing you do as a graduate, as an undergraduate that is not tied to the sustainable development goals. So I tell young people, go and study the sustainable development goals. There are 17 targets. Look at these goals and their functions. What can you do as a young person to begin to lend your voice to these advocacies? Greta Thunberg, a very young, I think 17 or, or thereabout, a climate activist. Look at Malala. Look at all those, like all those young, young, young people around the world doing fantastic things. But then, should we continue to wait until we become a first class order or a university graduate before we begin to do things? So the challenge is this. Young people should understand the sustainable development goals and see how they can deploy their resources their skills, their expertise and value, and then see how they can actively engage in their drone space and make a change with that. Thank you. Wow, I, I love that. I love that you, you brought up um, sustainable development goals. Um, I think it's a very strategic um, framework for how young people can get very involved. And I also strongly believe in, in education, that um, education is a, is a, is a normalizer. It, 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 it makes the, the playing field um, um, playing, right? So I, I strongly agree with that. Any form of education, either formal, informal, 
in whatever context of education, if it's entrepreneurship, if it's career-wise, you know, we, we should fix the problem of quality of education, the outcomes of education, the learning environment. You know, there, there are so many problems that, um, that, that directly affect our economy. So thank you so much for, for that strategic response. The second thing is the way, um, you know, if you study institutions, institutions are able to democratize power through policies, partnerships, and platforms or projects. So how can the undergraduate community get involved in those three Ps, as I call them, the three Ps? I know the other three P that uh, we're aware of are public-private partnerships, but within this context is um, platforms, policies, and partnerships. So how do young people, especially within the undergraduate community, influence that within the context of their local economy? Thank you. I'll still go back to the university settings. You have four years to study a course. You have five years for law. You have seven years for medicine. You have different years. But I'm sure that you cannot study a university degree in Nigeria for three years, except you're a direct entry student. So the first platform you have is your university, where you interact with people from diverse faculties, diverse department and all that. These people have different ideas. They have different mentalities. So you need to begin to be useful at first to your department or to your home where you're coming from. If you don't have a platform in which you can hold from home, you do not have a right to speak to the public. So if you're, if you're unable to identify your strength, when wow, you're in your, what are you going to tell to people outside? I want to listen to you. So I tell young people, first, identify your platform, probably in your university, in your faculty, in your department, or even in the environment where you live. I beg to mention one university here, that's um, Obafemi Awolowo University. That institution itself, to me, is an ideal institution where you can make a change. I tell my colleagues, if you can scale an upcoming um, innovation in OAU and you succeed, there's nothing that stops you from succeeding in Nigeria. I've had interactions with graduates of the school, I've had interactions with undergraduates, I've had interactions with, with postgraduate students and with lecturers across boards in that faculty. If you can scale anything in that institution and any other institution, there's nothing that stops you from becoming like a global competitive graduate. That's one. Having said that, you need to create value. Beyond just picking up a mic to speak, what do you want to speak? You must create value. And then having done that, you've been able to identify a platform. Now, policies. What policies do you truly understand? Do you even know if Nigeria has a foreign policy? Do you know the policy that guides the advocacy in which you're pushing for? Do you know the long-term policy and the short-term policies of what you're trying to address? Now, do you know what influenced the choice of that policy in which you want to speak on? So it takes us back to education. Beyond just running to like, like you know, to, to get the peace, what do you really understand? So, it, so you know, you, you cannot take, take out education from all of this advocacy. So for me, policies are built and designed by humans. Humans who are educated and are experts in their fields of engagement. So one thing about policy is look at every organization. Every organization has its own policy. Study that policy. Does that fit into your long-term or short-term career plan? If it does, how can you get in there? You can either get into externship or internship or either volunteering 
or even like putting out your skills, like put out yourself there, young people. When I tell people I have engagement with international people like Jacob, it's because you have like a family who is so wealthy. No, it's because I've been able to identify myself, identify what the institutions want, the policies in which they want, and I've been able to like, like, strat like strategically place myself into that. Now, let me give you a practical example. Take, for instance, you want to get into the United Nations or probably any other um, foreign um, organizations. Now, these organizations have volunteering um, exercises in which they put out and so for people to um, apply and all that. So for you that knows that you want to get into social XYZ organization, maybe in two years, not in 2020, you begin to project yourself. You begin to plan yourself. If they are doing this social event, you can go there, volunteer. Having done volunteering, okay, you want to, maybe, okay, for example, there's a trendy topic in which you, there's been on, you can just write a blog post on it and then you publish it. And having done that, you see something similar to what you're doing again. You can also put your voice into it and advocate for it. And before you know, in 2020 and before you count 2022, you must have built an area of experience that will make you competitive beyond when you've not done anything. Now, lastly, on partnership, like I said, the role of partnership cannot be overemphasized in building a sustainable platform for every person. So I, I hold people strongly, leverage on the network within yourself. You have friends, you have colleagues, you have families, you have relatives, try as much as possible to build a relationship so that when people mention your name, they know that, oh, this is what this person has. And I, I want to say this specifically, I am readily available to partner with anyone who has any ideas that matches what I'm doing on education, the SDGs, law, policy, and anything. The strength of this conversation is to see how we can take this conversation offline and see how we can build sustainable partnership. So this is an open um, um, invite to anybody. If you're interested in doing any of the things in which I've mentioned, I can partner with you. And then if I have resources or probably um, anything that can help you grow, I can also share with you. So in closing, people might forget your name as young people. Some might even forget your age, but the truth is your impact in changing lives will forever linger in people's hearts. Thank you. Wow, that was that was such a that was such a great learning experience. Um, we'll take one more question to close this segment. Then we'll have the last segment, which is the forum. So, one thing you notice is um, when in dealing in creating partnerships, there is that major uh, milestone of multi-stakeholder partnerships. Um, as much as we denounce, um, okay, although conversations right now are helping us understand the role of 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 the of the public in shaping government institutions, right? So it's no longer about government, government, government. We have to play a part, that's fine. But we cannot denounce that the gov governmental institution is still one of the big players in defining the outcomes of any nation or any national economy. So if we take all the things you've said and we're able to create an enabling environment, we're able to get involved, how do we now position the undergraduate community for multi-stakeholder partnerships and engaging those who are not within our current sphere of influence. What are the milestones we need to reach? Do we need, is it until we have 50,000 people? Is it until we have 100 million? Or is it until we have money in our bank account that we can engage these stakeholders? So we'd like to address that multi-stakeholder relationship conversation. Thank you. That's a very, very important and strategic question. And I would respond to that as brief as best as possible. 
I'm sorry, please. One, one, more, one more addition is to make it a little more interesting. Um, I know we have the privilege of having you around and you have both local and international engagements in this same question I just asked. So you can also take it within the local context and then the international context, which is how do we build international partnerships and relationships and how do we build local partnerships and relationships that directly affect our, our economic outlook? How can we position ourselves as undergraduates for that? Thank you. The banks, the schools, the institutions, the organizations, the policies and everything in which you talk of, government's the biggest player. Even the courts in which we go to as lawyers, the government owns the courts. The institutions, the universities in which we go to, the government owns most of them. So if government closes up, we might not be able to do as much as we can do. So now to be very realistic, how can you build partnership locally? Very easy. I'll give you a practical example of Nigeria. I've seen young people, particularly undergraduates, who have consistently leveraged on this opportunity and then they have broken milestones. I know of somebody in an undergraduate institution who came up with an idea, an innovative idea on education. That institution is located amongst an area where you have so many banks. Now, we want to explore how to build local partnership. Now, this team of young persons brought themselves together, came up with a fantastic document on what they want to do, and then they approached the bank. Bank XYZ, 80% of our undergraduate students in this school pays tuition through your bank. We pay virtually everything through your bank. Now, what? we have identified that the bank has XYZ corporate social responsibility. But then they say charity begins at home. We are just at your neighbor here as an institution. This is a proposal we want you to please partner with us and achieve XYZ project. And the head of human resource looked at it. Oh, wow. Okay, let's push this to the marketing department. And before you say XYZ, those guys got funding to implement that project. Now, the shocker is this, not all persons can be able to put together an absolute proposal to get funding. And some will, some, some will even tell you that, oh, some banks will not fund because their headquarters are in Lagos or probably in Abuja. It's not all through entirely. So I tell young people, identify the community in which you want to make an influence or the community in which you want to make an impact. Those living in those communities are not ghosts. They are not from Sambisa Forest. They are not from where you cannot mention. They are humans. You need to build a multi-personal relationship with your individual, like with your environment. It's just like you want, you cannot do anything in isolation of people. So I tell young people, explore the strength of your local network first before you consider doing things internationally. Now, people tend to mistake some things. Partnership does not necessarily have to come with money. Partnership doesn't necessarily have to be, okay, we're giving you a million dollars to go and implement this project. No. Partnership can be in form of goodwill messages. It can be in any form, not necessarily money, but young people of nowadays, most of us wants to smile to the bank once you have partnership and then you get a million dollars in your account. No. So young people should try to see how they can identify the immediate environment and see how they can explore partnership. Now, two, international partnership. Like I said, most of us might not have the privilege to travel to the Americas of this world, to the US, to the China, to, you know, 
to the luxurious countries of this world. But we have tools and resources that are available at our disposal. How then can we leverage on social media? You have LinkedIn, you have like, you can mention all of them. And then that starts with you, your social media profile, how enticing it is. You see some young persons and you know, today they're talking about Big Brother on their profile. Next tomorrow they're talking about fresh subsidy. Next tomorrow they're talking about something else. Next they're talking about something else and a potential partner who wants to even fund your project or your idea goes on your profile and is like, this person is like jack of all trades. He does everything. So you should be consistent in one thing in which you're doing if you know that, yes, you're eyeing international partnership. And I tell young people, attend conferences. Go for conferences in Nigeria. Google and check. There are so many conferences in which you can attend. Either you attend as a volunteer or you like just attend conferences. And then like I know there are so many institutions in Nigeria, the likes of JCI, ISEC, and you know, you can mention many of them who gives opportunity for young people to leverage on. So I tell young people, look at these organizations and see how you can build partnership and explore yourself. Now, I know most people want to hear this. How do you get funding? How do you get grants? How do you do this? You know. I will just be very honest with you. You see, to get grants comes with deliberate actions. You have to position yourself and then be transparent enough. That's what we call something corporate governance code. Every institution, nonprofits, and I'm sure because there are so many young people here who are probably CEOs of so-and-so XYZ organization, how transparent and efficient is your organization? When was the last time you published your financial statement or financial record of your organization? When was the last time you submitted your annual returns to the Corporate Affairs Commission? So these are things in which international donors will look at. Oh, we want to put $5 now into Bamgele Stoin's hand. How can we track the things in which he has done before? So I tell young people, for you to explore donors or getting fund and all that, be transparent enough, build a visible profile on social media. Let people be able to see that, okay, we, we don't have to put a call also to call Tony. Oh, Tony, please, can you provide us with details with this? No, let all these details be on your social media handles or your platform or your website so that people can access it. Now, there are some grants. I think I will drop that in the chat box. I'll send some links to, to the chat box where you can look for funding to fund your innovations and your, and your ideas. But in closing, as regards, um, yes, in closing, you need to have you, you, like, you need to have a detailed knowledge of any organization in which you're working with if you want to get into there to create partnership. For example, if you're going into, let's say, um, um, an edtech company that specializes in education innovation and are bringing a proposal to fund climate action, that organization will not fund your proposal. So I tell young people, do your homework, explore the organization, read about them, look at their past funding, look at those who have won their grant or who has won their fellowship or all that, and then ask questions, connect with people on social media, past um, recipients of their awards, and before you know it, you're in there. But please do not be in a haste to get into something, do your homework and see how much more you can achieve from them. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Learning from you has been amazing. It has been very steady. Um, so the final session, uh, which we'll close with is, you know, you can give your final statements based on 
the, the topic we've talked about, which is social, social institutions and how they democratize social power. But also, if there was one thing we need to focus on in this creation of social institutions that, you know, contribute to an enabling environment for value creation, what would be that one thing that we need to focus on right now? Sorry, I didn't get that question. I said, what would be the one thing that we need to focus on right now in creating social institutions that drive social change and affect our economic outlook for the undergraduate yes. community? Everyone should focus on advocating for the sustainable development goals. Like I said, awesome. the sustainable development goals covers everything. So I urge young people, graduates, undergraduates, we are the drivers of this policy 2030. So please, everyone should understand the target of the SDGs. Look at the one that matches with you, how you can advocate for it, and then how you can like, like the, the SDGs is a fantastic document in which I, I strongly advise that every young person should have access to it, read, study, and become advocates for the SDGs. Thank you so much, Mr. Jacob. Um, today has been really amazing. Um, you know, so much exposure to how social de um, defines change and, you know, and the narratives about, about Nigeria and Africa. So thank you so much for your time, sir. Um, I know how much this is worth. <laughs> so I appreciate that you shared that welcome. with us. Thank you so much for joining in. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, have a great day, sir.